0: The Spin Off Podcast Network. Tired of diesel buses? Want more cycle lanes? Or bus lanes? Which projects do you want Auckland Transport to work on first? They need your opinion. So head to haveyoursay.at.govt.nz forward slash RLTP to do just that. Consultation closes on 17 June. Get in quick. tato and welcome to the very first edition of Gone By Lunchtime, the spin-off politics podcast. We are coming to you direct from the spin-off pod hub, high up in the internet cloud somewhere above Brito Mart in Auckland City. My name is Toby Manho and this is the first of what I hope will become a monthly podcast on all things political. I'm very happy to be joined for our first instalment by the box office pairing of Annabelle Lee and Ben Thomas, to discuss, among other things, the kerfuffle around John Key attending Waitangi commemorations, the TPP squabble and the carnival of State of the Nation speeches from the main party leaders. Annabelle Lee is a journalist and commentator and was executive producer of Māori TV's Native Affairs when that show was in its prime. How are you, Annabelle? Um. I'm sorry I persuaded you to come in to take part with the offer of some home baking, but um, owing to a burst pipe, that wasn't possible. We have some Afghans out of a packet here.
2: Beautiful. Thank you for the Afghans. If you'd said I had to walk up three stories to get here though, I probably would not come to be that, honest that piece with you. Of information. How
0: have you been? What have you been up to lately?
2: Very well, nothing much. I've been at home with my um, with my new daughter. She's three months old mm. and just setting up our new programme which is being produced by Great Southern Television called The Hui, mm. which will soon appear on T V three on Sunday morning starting April three. And is that giving,
0: giving the old team back together? Because Mihi, Mihi Forbes is there.
2: Yes, Mihi Ngarangi Forbes is joining us, and Adrian Stevanon, who was um, the Native Affairs Associate Producer. So, yeah.
0: That will be very good. Um, maybe you should do something on Kohangareo. That would be interesting. Well,
2: that sounds like a good yeah, idea, Toe. So we might do that. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the much. Also with us
0: is Ben Thomas, who previously worked for Senior National Minister Chris Finlayson, then fled overseas, I think, and has now returned to work for PR man Matthew Houghton, which means he's swapped working for someone who speaks mostly in Latin for working for someone who speaks mostly in furious diatribes. Is that about <laughs> accurate, Ben?
1: Hi- highly unfair. Well, um, we- I'll, I'll be mounting a spirited of Matthew on my first column of public address. <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> I look forward to that. Um, uh, the obvious starting point really is Waitangi, John Key, the TPP, it's all kind of came together in a big ball of tangled up dust. Um, there was a lot of toing and froing about whether the prime minister would be invited by Ngapuhi onto Te Ati He was blocked. Then he was invited. He wasn't going to be allowed to speak. And about how do you see this all playing out? Is it the same as we've seen in previous years, or is there something different? This time around?
2: Um, well, it's an it's an interesting one because it's actually polarising Te Ao Māori. You can, um, you know, some are saying, you know, he should be banned, like Taurua, who's a very well known um, Ngāpuhi leader and sort of instigated this whole debate about whether or not Ki should be allowed on, and then of course, so the other camper mm-hmm. are, are saying. Um, of course he should come and the marae is is the perfect place to be debating these ideas and to be able to confront him and challenge him on his support for TPPA. I understand that um, earlier this week there was a a hui of um, the various different hapū from Ngāpuhi. The majority voted um, to ban him from the marae. Mm. Um, A few hours later, the, the, the trust that actually runs the marae got together and decided to overturn the decision of the hui so it's you know it's an it's an issue that's definitely polarizing within um within te ao maori and there's nothing new about that
0: do you think that john key is going to end up speaking on the marae ben
1: so what he said after the week of back and forth is that he'll go to the marae if he's invited, but he won't force his way in. Yeah. Um, talking about safety of staff, yeah. you know, um, and and and, and this the, this this is business as usual at TT. Um, the first time I went to Waitangi as part of the Crown Party, um, I think we left after about sort of you know ten minutes into the Pofiri. Um There's always a certain level of fraction, um, fractiousness, dissent, protest. Um, and and you adjust to the circumstances, you know you don't you don't want to sort of be too dismissive of the day and you know the day before Waitangi and its significance being welcome onto the Lower Uh but at the same time it is a bit of a media set piece for whatever the protest jure is, yeah. um, it, you know it really is it, it's a bit like um, Jarhead's depiction of war. You know, prior to the Prime Minister arriving, protesters are standing on one side of the morai gate, Uh, the Crown Party will stand on the other side, media are across the road, everyone's just having a cigarette, kind of chatting, waiting. The Prime Minister will pull up as soon as he gets out of the car, cameras go on, protesters start jostling, shouting, holding up placards. The Crown Party sort of forces its way in, you know, amidst a great rancour. And then, you know, at some point during the Pofuri, they'll be rushed out. Um, and at that point the cameras turn off they've got their footage and everyone goes back to us enjoying the weekend.
2: It's going to be a big one I think, it's being predicted by you know people in the north that this will probably the, be the biggest protest that um, we've seen at Waitangi in quite a long time you know, Māori get very um, passionate about these you know issues that impact on our constitutional rights so there will definitely be aji-barji and the, I think the Prime Minister would be wise not to Underestimate the strength of feeling up there.
0: There was an offer um, that was made this morning, and we're, we're speaking on on Wednesday evening now um, by Honia Hardeweda, saying that rather than speaking on the Mariah, he should come and speak at the political forum. But that sounded to my ears a bit like an ambush offer because it was he could come and speak um, on very specific terms. Um, as required, you can sort of imagine <laughs> kind of saying, "Okay, yeah. you now have two minutes to speak, Prime Minister." If, I mean, if everyone was, gets equal time, there was are hearing from Jane Rossa, Kelsey, Calvin term, Jones. Though. I mean, do 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 you think that he will speak on the marae? Do you, do you have a sense of that?
2: I think he'll definitely um, speak on the marae. My understanding is that he had been instructed not to discuss. Um, the TPP. Uh-huh. The, the political forum is something that happens up there every year and it's actually a really um, interesting forum and you know Ben was talking before about the whole um, media circus that is Waitangi but th- there's actually a lot of really constructive interesting things that happen up there too so I would strongly encourage the PM to go mm. and mm. address the political forum.
0: Well certainly the agenda has been set hasn't it by the very fact of having the signing of the TPP in Auckland on February four, the mm. day before February five, which is the day before the Treaty of Waitangi anniversary, which is when he goes to the Marae. Mm. I mean that sets the tone, doesn't it? So it's sort of it sort of diff- seems to be in some ways difficult for the Prime Minister to hold up his hands and say we didn't ask for any of this when clearly that was setting the tone by by doing that signing
1: look and at the same time it's mana from heaven for uh, people like Jane Kelsey, Carwin Jones who have really been agitating about this and feeding a lot of misinformation about the TPP which is partially why I think you've got tempers running so hot um, you know, this is, this is ideal timing for the protest groups. I think we heard today that sort of fifteen thousand people were expected up at Waitangi from Auckland. I, I think that's probably an overestimation, but I certainly think it'll be the biggest protest up there in recent times.
2: It's Don't quite a go- provocative mood, move, <laughs> isn't it, to like have the signing so close to to our Waitangi Day celebrations I agree and it's uh, I'm not sure if that's something that's been done on purpose or an oversight but but to me it just seems like a death wish because it just means that Waitangi this year is going to be all on and I don't know if that's really what the sort of um, images that you want on the television the year before an election
1: The the amount of the amount of coordination and planning needed to, you know, get that many sort of dignitaries there and, you know, I, I think precludes um, the idea that it's just a political tactic. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think there's any interest that the government has in having protests on the street, you know, mm. prior to the National Day. You know, Ke, look, key Ke, Ke undertook when he was in opposition that he would visit the lower marae every year. And he's stuck by that and he, he's, he's he's doing it again this year. Um, and I actually see it as a very promising sign that he's so adamant about going and selling the TPP to the people of New Zealand. I think one of the, one of the real downsides, I think, sort of recently for the national government has been that Key, who's you know, one of the best political communicators of his generation, you know, and I'm talking in the Western world, not just in New Zealand, actually hasn't felt the need to go out and retail and convince people of of what he's doing um, because he's been on the, high TP at the pole. Specif- TPP specifically in, in or general, more generally in general, and I think the fact that he's really sort of resolved, um, resolved to go around the country to do these roadshows, and to go into you know what really is the sort of the teeth of the storm, up there um, to try and com- to try and you know show people why he's done this, um, and 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 why they don't need to be alarmed. I agree
0: with. Most of that, I think it's really positive that there is a commitment to go to Waitangi Mm. and to go just about whatever may come. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not unconditional. Mm. But at the same time, I do think it's hard to see, although I, I go along with you, your kind of Occam's razor analysis of the, the, timing of the signing. All the same, they knew very well when going along with the February 4th signing. To hold it at Sky City as well, which is yeah, a symbol yeah. of all sorts of things, but it does seem like a bit of a fuck you. you well,
1: it's, it's it's only provocative if you think that the TPP itself is a slap in the face for Māori, and it's not. Um, the, but
2: Māori think that it's a slap in the face that, to that, Māori, and, that, and that's the difference. That,
1: that's right, and that's because of really quite disingenuous um,
2: a complete Stances lack from people of people like Jane
1: Kelsey. Um, I, you know, I, I actually think, I actually think the, you know, without wanting to be rude about it, the, the kind of far left um, missed a real opportunity here, in that, you know, they, 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 they agitated, they got quite a quite a kind of you know mass movement going, you know, opposing the sort of the worst the worst possible outcomes of the TPP, you know, um, disestablishing pharma, um, you know, huge IP protections. Um, and, you know, disregarding the treaty. Now, they actually won on all those points. And I would have thought that what you do as a responsible movement leader or public figure would be to say to the people who have been following you to this point, hey, guys, we won. You know, this is a demonstration of people power. You know, the, the, the negotiators for New Zealand did actually need people in the streets, protesting about Farmac in order to be able to make that case convincingly to the other parties in the agreement. So this is a win for Kelsey et al, but for some reason they're determined to see it as a continuing loss and a continuing grievance. and And they've stooped to pretty low levels of disinformation to actually make that case.
2: Regardless of whatever the detail may be, whether there are any possible ones for Māori, although I think the vast majority would say they don't, particularly when it comes to the issues around medicine and so forth, Māori have not been genuinely consultated about this issue. And the thing is, like when you Pākehā guys get us to sign little like treaties and, and contracts and stuff around like February... Um, sort of history shows that it usually doesn't work out that great for us so of course there's a high level of suspicion and you know maori really bite into these big constitutional issues mm. it's something that Maori get very hot under the collar about if there's a perceived um, diminishing of our constitutional rights like the foreshore and seabed Maori get mobilized about
1: it and mm. so but but when you actually read carwin jones's um, and, and Jane Kelsey's analysis of what the TPP means for Māori and why it breaches treaty principles according to them. It's actually a very thin piece of work. It's not the sort of thing that you'd expect from you know a, a couple of PhDs. Um, It it Basically, it it, it focuses mainly on the fact that they weren't consulted sufficiently beforehand, which again is arguable. You know, the the MFAT did a huge amount of consultation with groups like the Federation of Māori Authorities with individual iwi. Um, I remember an instance in Parliament last year where uh, Meka Waiteri, the Labour MP, uh, who's Kahanunu, grilled my former boss, Chris Finlayson, in Parliament about why there hadn't been enough consulta- why, why Māori hadn't been consulted over the TPP. And he read back to her the minutes of one of the consultation meetings where in attendance was Meka whaiteri. Um, You know, there seems to be a lot of sort of willful misremembering of uh, the process that's actually gone through to this point.
2: But saying you've c- consulted with Māori because you've had a meeting or two with is a bit like saying you've consulted with New Zealanders because you've met with the business roundtable. I Mm -hmm. think that most Māori would feel that it's not adequate um, consultation. I mean, an example is in terms of the TPP Pōwhiri, you know, the government has been... um, looking around Auckland for a mana whenua group that will
0: dial, perform dial, dial the delivery number in the phone dial,
2: and and no one is answering except um, the Ngāti Whātua runanga. What's interesting about that is that both Ngāti Whātua hapū um, Ngāti Whātua Ōrākei and Ngāti Whātua o Kaipara have both said no we're not we're not taking part in this porfidy but mm. the runanga which is essentially it's administrative body, or its governance body, has said that they will, Tamete Rangi um, and Nader Glavish are rallying a group of three or four I don't know if you could really describe that as a porphyry. and they're going ahead, and I think Māori feel the same way about FOMA, even though FOMA knows nothing really about what's in TP, they've given it their seal of approval and Māori are saying, hold up that's, that's not okay we, we haven't, and the, you, and the, and you, and you don't speak on behalf of us. And the
0: perception seems to be that that, that Hey guys, you can't simply say "Don't worry, we've got an exemption." Look, there's an exemption, to, and then say that that covers it all because obviously it is more complicated than that. Like one of the arguments that I think is interesting is that it does create a chilling effect because nation states are reluctant to use the exemptions, and and so so the very fact of the exemption doesn't per se, you know.
1: I mean, there are there are there are. I, I think that's an extraordinary argument for um, for a Victoria University. Um, Law professor really? to advance really? A- absolutely the 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 idea that the that the absence of an exemption would mean that the government was intent on screwing over Māori and also the presence of an exemption means that they're intent on screwing over Maldy is this weird you know upside down logic um, that you know just can't can't be sustained you know he, here we're asking you know Jane Kelsey and, and Carwin Jones are asking us to trust them not as legal experts here, but as humans of student psycholo- uh, students of human psychology. Um, you know, they're just making speculative guesses about how politicians might act. And I just don't understand it. So for instance, you know, when you think about these exclusions, um, or, or, you know, what the chilling effect might be. I, I actually can't think of what it might be, except, you know, uh, say an American company starts a subsidiary, it, uh, you know, creates a, a methanol factory in the Taranaki, um, and then the Crown uh, wishes to nationalize that and then give it to Māori as part of a treaty settlement. Now, you know, that, that doesn't sound like something that will happen. Um, but that's the sort of thing that would kick in, you know, the investor dispute resolution clauses, where mm. you might have to try and rely on an exception.
0: I guess, I guess then it comes back to the consultation thing, you know. I mean, that sounds quite persuasive when you explain like that. But 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 I I th- I mean, what I what I what I think is unreasonable is to dismiss, and this has been the case all through the process and I speak as an absolute TPP fence-sitter, I remain ambivalent about the whole thing, I think personally, at one level it, it's a, it's just crazy for us not to be in it, you know, for a country like New Zealand not to be in a deal like that would be mad but on the other hand, I think that the process from the start was it's not just the secrecy thing, because it's kind of oh no, we always do it in secret, it's the, it's the approach, it's the, you talked about communication before, but Tim Grosser, who, whether or not he is the, the kind of boy genius of international trade negotiation or not created an atmosphere where, it was, where, where there was a constant condescension to anyone who raised claims. And that's notwithstanding whether or not you want to sit alongside Jane Kelsey on every item of criticism. You know?
2: What's been interesting for me is how um, rangatahi have really cottoned on to the whole TPP issue like my 16 year old seems to know an extraordinary amount of stuff about it that right. I have no idea about and right. I think there's been some uh, really interesting use of social media that's had really strong cut through with um, rangatahi maori on this issue which is interesting and kind of cool too that our kids are so politicised and interested in an issue like this.
1: I, I, look I absolutely agree I think anything that gets up engagement you know, amongst young people, amongst middle aged people is a good thing um, but what I, what I think is that People tend to over and underestimate the threats to what they hold important. Um, so, for instance, the TPP is currently vastly overestimated as a threat to, um, say, Farmac, whereas people ignore the fact that the Labor Party, Andrew Little, um, you know, started making you know make, making promises that the government would direct Farmac to to um, fund whatever you know the melanoma wonder drug of of choice yeah. that he had read a story on stuff.co.nz almost certainly planted by a big pharma PR company um, you know which actually undermines the Pharmac model much more than Tim Grosser has ever done I mean you know at the risk of incurring the wrath of the New Zealand internet, St John Campbell has done more in his career to undermine Farmac by running these sort of, you know, careful, victim of the week stories don't you talk about, about people who need... going to have to cut this out. <laughs> we, can't, we can't have you know, people his John his, 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 his former role as sort of unofficial final appeals body for the Farmac decision-makers, um, as you know, as soon as PR companies got involved. You know, and, and so I think I think... This, this mistrust of Tim Grosser, of the New Zealand government, about what they might do is totally out of whack with what has actually happened in terms of threats to these things. That we well, would. I do... I do. it'd
2: just be nice if they consulted us yeah, as much true. about TPP as they do about the flag.
0: I suppose the only other thing that shines nice. slightly with that is that it did seem to... I was you only of, want 42 was, people <laughs> to turn up. I was amazed to see that there was a petition signed by lots of people who presented at Government House calling on the Governor-General to um, refuse to sign... Uh, any legislation which which, which which did actually strike me is that if, were that to happen that would be a far graver constitutional crisis than could ever <laughs> ever, ever be affected by, yeah. by a document like the TPP.
2: What's going to be interesting about the TPP just in terms of the Maori political world is the knock-on effect I think for the Maori party because you know the Maori party yeah. was a party founded on an issue about you know the diminishing of constitutional rights and Tariana walked the floor left Labour, turned her back and set up the party and so you know Ururua and Marama have been very, very quiet on this and they risk incurring opposed, the wrath.
0: They've opposed, but yes, they've been quiet and they're like, oh, look, two. they're not yeah.
2: really talking to us about yeah. it. Well, we've had that whole narrative for years and years and years about being on the kids, yeah. on the, on the, at the table, but then on this one they're saying, no, well, you kind of need to push your way to the, to the front of the line and advocate for Māori because this is one that could come back to haunt them, I think.
0: Um, just before we leave Waitangi Day for the moment um, that we've had this, the, an absolute perennial is, um starting kind of earlier in the year than ever is Waitangi Day is such a such a kerfuffle why can't we have a day more like Australia Day so just I'd be very briefly interested to hear whether either of you goes along with that the, the lines in one of the pieces I read was where are the parades where are the celebrations why can't we be more like Australia Day which makes me immediately think I'm answering my own question of Mitchell Pierce pissing on a sh- on a sofa. But, um, <laughs> but I'd be interested to know whether either of you wants to see more kind of harbour fireworks and rah-rah.
2: I think people who say that have obviously never been to Waitangi because there's all sorts of awesome, amazing, cool kaupapa that happen at Waitangi. There's the whole waka thing, there's awesome stuff with the kids, there's kapahaka, there's a political forum it is a day of celebration and it's a day of protest and it's great that it is both of those things and thank God we live in a country where we can exercise our democratic right to kick up a stink and shake our Prime Minister and give him a little bit of biffo and all of that stuff, it's a a wonderful thing but um, I don't think we should be afraid of Waitangi protests, I think that's a sign that we're living in a healthy democratic country.
1: No, yeah, there there seems to be a lot of policing that goes on in the commentary at and at large about, you know, what's the proper way to respect Anzac Day? What's the proper way to celebrate Waitangi Day? And, you know, the best thing about National Days is that they give people a chance to sort of reflect on where they see themselves sitting in the country. Um, Someone once said to me, you know, the definition of a New Zealander is someone who takes part in the discussion about what it means to be a New Zealander. And I I think sort of Waitangi Day really sums up the sort of ambiguous nature of our nationhood mm. mm-hmm. um, but in a good way well that's good we've solved that
2: um i'm up for fireworks Toby. to be fair <laughs> All, if somebody wants fireworks. to do to- um, fireworks off the harbour bridge i'm up for that
0: we'll um, we'll text kim.com and see what we can do cool. um we're going to move to talk about the state of the nation speeches now but before before we do it uh, you can if you want to get in touch with us you can tweet us on the spin-off tv or at the spin-off tv um, and if you have any complaints, you should text Radio Live on 3920 <laughs> or News Talk ZB on 9292. <laughs> um, Peter Dunn, the one man United Future Party, lashed out at the farce euphemistically and ov- overly grandiosely referred to as State of the Nation addresses, which are, he went on, increasingly like the strutting bellowing of boxes at the weigh in or a pre big bash team rant full sort of <laughs> ritual chest thumping and nut- knuckle dragging behaviour and which is symptomatic of loud, populist, shouting sports channel approach to politics. Uh, leaving to one side the slightly grandiose uh, words that he chose to, to, to denounce the State of the Nation uh, addresses, Does, do people think he's got a point? It's now, it's now become a kind of yearly staple that we begin the year with State of the Nation addresses from all the main parties. Is that, is that, is that a helpful uh, unveiling of the, the year or is it a bit of a sideshow?
1: I, I thought they were quite good this year. Um, you know, I, th- I thought there was quite a lot for people to kind of get their teeth into and to think about. Um, obviously, you don't get that every year. Generally, they are pretty bland. And it's, I think it's because of that whole state of the nation uh, mm. kind of appellation, mm. um, which, you know, is, is is a little ridiculous. I think the Greens seem to have scaled down from the state of the planet, which they <laughs> used to deliver. That's right. Yep. Every, every, every,
0: <laughs> well, you've got them. you've got to try and you know, contain your your, your your project, really. Yeah. So, <laughs> man- manage
1: expectations. Yes, that's, that's, it. that's
2: um, it's the funnest thing that he said in ages. I like it, and I think he's spot on. It's very American, isn't it? You, c- you can sort of see the Americanisation of New Zealand politics. It's like how we refer to our prime ministers as prime ministers-elect now. Right. right, We didn't used to do that back in the day, but we do now, and I think, yeah, the state-of-the-nation stuff is... Is um, just another part of that, and um, I have to say, I found them all incredibly boring. All of them I'm sorry. quite boring, right? Very boring. For I,
1: me. I was interested because there was a focus on policy, and and that's something that we've probably been missing mm. um, in the electorate in general recently. Uh, definitely last year, I think.
0: Yeah, there was a clear policy centrepiece to each of them. That, yep. was, that was signposted to the media. I mean, if you if you if you if you actually read the speeches, as I think most of us in the room have for our sins done. You know, you wouldn't necessarily, in all of them, pick out what the main policy plank was. Maybe not in Keys, maybe maybe not in Peters. But but the but the, for National to start off with them, John Key gave a speech, and it's always telling what their audience or, or or context is to the Auckland Chamber of Commerce. And the main headline there was bringing forward the Central Rail Link, uh, along with some road money for an East-West um, connection in Auckland and some regional highways. So that that was sort of Balanced out a little bit. Um, one thing that struck me, I don't know if we want to talk about the CRL too much, but one, one thing that struck me, um, Ben, as someone who used to. Did you write speeches, I presume, from time to time? No, like no, no, now and then, yeah. One of the things that struck me is that it really wasn't. He used talked about vision in the speech and he said, talked about big ideas and sort of insisted that they were still as full of ideas as ever. Uh, I think he said, eight years in, were at my yeah, ministers are yeah. as full of ideas as they ever were. Which um, sounded a bit protesting too much from me, mm. but on the, on the on the kind of you know like I sort of is it only media really that want charisma and kind of, you know ideological vision or whatever because he, he
1: doesn't deliver that and no one and no one minds really. J- J- John Key is the boss who brings thirty cans of lion red on a Friday afternoon to the building site you know and and I, I, mean, mm. I mean that in the best possible way yeah. yeah his 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 persona is not larger than life, you know you can't imagine him saying the sorts of things that Peter Dunn will sort of you know puff up and come out with. Um, but know, surely he,
0: people have written those into speeches before and he's probably ruled them out because he wouldn't talk like that, do you think?
1: Uh, I, well, he's had a very close team since he entered politics. Sure. And there are people who know him very well and and, and know how he speaks. You know, yeah. get, getting the voice of the person yeah. that you're working for is very important and his team are very good at that. Um, you know, it would just sound strange if he, you know, and, and, di- and different different political cultures have different, you know different approaches to this, but in in New Zealand you don't you don't really ever see that. You know Helen Clark yeah. wasn't a big sort of picture painter either. You David know,
0: Cunliffe did his best.
1: And <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I th- I think that sort of <laughs> that kind of <laughs> that kind of shows where that sort of gets you in New Zealand. I think. How did um, how did the key speech? Work for you Annabelle?
2: Oh I have to be honest I found it incredibly boring and it just felt like one big road map of New Zealand we're going to build a road here, going to build a road there, another road there, going to fix sifs and then build another road here and there and there. I found it, I'd be surprised if it um, resonated with a lot of New Zealanders unless they work for Transit New Zealand or they really care about the local bridge which to be fair many do but yeah to me it didn't seem like there was um a whole lot in it that would really turn people on.
0: Except that I always kind of, um, I don't have to drive very often at rush hour, but when I do, and I find myself in one of those kind of, you know, unending bloody gridlock roads in Auckland, Mm. I think this is what lots of actual, real Hard-working Aucklanders do every day, and all the time they're sitting there thinking, "Fucking hell!" I just, you know. And so, a policy that is going to improve transport in the city, I, you know, it, it was might. quite
2: Auckland-centric was in that regard, Auckland. wasn't
0: it? Winston called it a state of state of Auckland speech, yeah. not a state of the nation yeah. speech.
2: Just in terms of
1: continuing to push for the provinces,
2: just in terms of Key, I think that's been his, you know, one of the things that people have really loved about him is that he is the polar opposite of Helen Clark. Like if you'd ask Helen Clark a question about anything it didn't matter how random or niche the issue might be she would know every little thing every little detail about it and she could bore you to death for 10 minutes sort of going through it all whereas Key's got that whole meh, I don't know, I haven't looked at that yet I'll get my people to check it out and get back to you kind of thing and that has really resonated with New Zealanders it's like they think if he's not too worried about it we don't need to be either and I well, think I it's of, worked for him. I
0: sort of think one of his great tricks is that it's almost like there's a silent come on, be reasonable before everything. This is moving away from the speeches more to answer the yeah, questions yeah. Between, before every answer. And I think that, I think that is sort of the, it's a, it's, you know, people hear that, you
1: know. The Prime Minister is the great reassurer. Um, he, his, his role is to, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Um, he, he makes people feel better about how things are going. And you know, sometimes I think that can lapse into a certain lassitude and a certain sloppiness. Mm. um, If it's things that he doesn't want to discuss, say like the inspector general's report about the SIS, you know, after the last election. Mm. Um, But but I think yeah, that's. Um, And then the man who wants to replace
0: him, Andrew Little, went into his speech, um, which was on Sunday, was it? Um, which was which was a picnic, which is normally the, the Greens approach, having a picnic. He, this time he was having a picnic in Albert Park in Auckland, and he went in sort of under a little bit of a cloud with the internal squabbling about the TPP and David Shearer mm. uh, speaking out of turn, but Phil Goff had got this kind of, <laughs> kind of get-out-of-jail-free card because he wants to be Auckland Mayor. But he did, in the speech, at the very least, manage to change the subject and get lots of attention with mm. what was which was a pretty, pretty pretty, big, noticeable policy which seemed like a kind of echo of the 2005 Labour last-minute uh, interest, interest off student loans that, that Grant Robertson designed yeah. for Helen Clark. I, I,
1: think that's, I think that's a misapprehension that a number of commentators have made, but I don't think it will have the same impact at all.
0: But, I'm, I, but I think that was the... I mean, I, I would guess that was the inspiration for it.
1: Yeah, but I think they misinterpreted what... uh, You know, it was meant to be tied into this future of work project. Yes, So it's meant to be about, um, you know, smoothing out those difficult periods when there's technological disruption, Mm -hmm. changes in society. Well, I think they tried to tie
0: it into that. I don't think it actually emerged (laughs) out of that. Do you?
1: Well... well, (laughs) You know, we 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 can't look. If if it probably sprung fully formed from the mind of the future of work uh, spokesperson uh, Grant Robertson, who also came up with the interest-free student loans yeah. policy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but as a as a political and electoral tool, it's much much blunter um, and and won't work as well because it only targets those um, who are yet to do uh, tertiary education, most of whom are not voting age and won't be voting age uh, until the policy is in place. Yeah. Um, whereas the beauty of the student loan scheme was that people who had finished their study yeah. one year previously yep. um, thought, I need to vote for this. You know, they went to the calculator, they worked out the tens of thousands of dollars they would save as a lump sum as a present from Helen Clark. Moreover,
0: they'd seen their student loan creeping up. I remember that, seeing that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. a terrible thing to watch mm. when you've never yeah. encountered that before in your life, you know.
1: Yeah, whereas whereas this, this this one I think actually alienates rather than co opts those former students. Yeah, that'll be interesting to
0: see. But it also but but parents is a big thing too. I mean I've got a I've got a six year old. You've got a six year old Annabelle. And I think they're the ones that are gonna get the full um uh, to repeat a joke it's like what do we want free education when do, when do we want it in about 10 years <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, but, but I mean how did, how, did, how, did, how did you receive it how did your 16 year old receive it did, did-
2: I haven't actually talked about it with my 16 year old I was excited because you know I had a huge Student loan myself, and before mm. Labor brought in that policy, you know, you just watch the interest creeping up and up. And if my kids can avoid getting caught in that trap, I think it's a a good thing. My understanding is that it was a it was a Mana Internet policy, wasn't it? Uh,
0: that's Lila what Harries Stephen Joyce said. For and Lila Harry Har- Har- did too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Lila Harry and Stephen Joyce joined as I, ever. The uh, hip. I'm
2: um, you know I'm a, I'm a sucker for free education. I think it's a good thing. I think it was you know. A, people are talking about it. It's got traction. It's sort of, like you say, um, distracted from some of Labour's internal bitching, which is helpful. But then I saw Little get interviewed on on the Paul Henry show and um, yeah. it just felt like he snatched um, defeat from the jaws of victory. Oh. He got really caught in the whole, you know, it's about this tidal wave of change that's coming and we've got it. And he just repeated that right. over and over and, you know, Henry he struggled was really, to join the dots kind he really did, and Henry was able to. No, yeah, yeah, he was able to sort of get him right in the yeah. corner about it and yeah. say, "Well, what about these people that, you know, I've already paid for their education? What are you doing for them?" And he's like, "Well, this is just a start. We've got more coming." Yeah. So I feel like it was a good policy, but the follow-up, his follow-up around it, um, was weak, I, and now it's got you know people sort of questioning, "Well, can we afford this?" and so I, I, on and so forth. So sort of slipped a bit afterwards i I think think.
1: you can tie it back to the tpp divisions in labor which is that i think it shows that little doesn't have confidence to bring the left of his caucus with him Mm. um so if if you don't look at it as an attempt to win votes because you know for the reasons the reasons i've I've said previously i don't i don't think it will be a, a big vote getter um If you look at it as a way to signal to Greens supporters who used to be with Labour that this is a left-wing party, then it actually makes a lot more sense if you see it as them shoring up um, their, their, their boundary against the Greens on the left rather than making a play for the middle and national voters.
0: It's also, I mean, it's interesting that Phil Goff, who was explicitly mentioned at the top of the speech, was... The man who I remember when I was at university, who was the devil, you know, he was the man who introduced tuition fees. So I sort of thought, does he get a does he get an exemption on this too? (laughs) Like he does on the on the TPP, you know? I mean, it is it is kind of symbolically not the first. It's you know there have been various, but it's it's more kind of repudiation of the fourth Labor government that continues. And you could make an argument, which is it's too too long and tedious to make, but you could linking it to a broader. You know, Jeremy Corbyn, the, the 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 leftward movement of the Labour Party, which will appeal to some and obviously is going to alienate others, like Phil Goff. I don't know about where David Shearer is on this one, but, you know, there's obviously a group within caucus who will be concerned about this.
1: I Well, no, I, I think that's right. I think that you can draw parallels with... Um the Labour Party, where it is right now, um, and the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn, and it's not—it's not necessarily the nature of the leaders, but it's how they were installed, which is by union activists, by um, former sort of left-wing apostates who have come back, uh, you know, cloth caps in hand, ready to reclaim their party. Um, who all have extremely good skills in organisation, um, but what you see in UK labour and New Zealand labour is that those skills have been turned inwards. They're very inwardly focused organisations right now. They're basically fighting over, you know, it might be unkind to say, the carcass of these social democratic parties, but um, they're, they're certainly a bit like vulture funds uh, swooping down on distressed assets. Um, where the carve-up of the assets is actually more important than what you're doing going forward. I mean,
0: certainly, my, my, I, mean, I, th- I, think, I think there's some truth in that. I think that the, the, the kind of divisions and the ugliness that's in some internal parts of the Labour Party in Britain is, is <laughs> while it may not be all peace and harmony in the New Zealand Labour here, by contrast, it is, it is, it is, um, it is very adhesive and stuck together. <laughs> anyway, let's, do, let's talk about the Greens, um, who you mentioned. They... They went to the National Library this year, and it was Mitilia ature not James Shaw, the other co-leader, who was um, continuing, I guess, project, project serious, you know, project take us seriously, project we're we're a party of government, and 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 she was quite explicit about that. She, mm. you know, almost kind of, I guess, um, disowned the tag of radical, which um, yeah. I imagine there are a lot of Green Party members. Who would who 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 may take exception to that? You know, I mean, the argument was that ideas that uh, our ideas are dismissed as radical, but actually look a few years down the road, and you'll see mm. all the all the all the mainstream parties picking them up, and there's there's a fair bit of truth in that. Yeah. Uh, there are also some 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 exceptions to that, and some policies that have been <laughs> you know <less> heavily <laughs> emphasised. Um, but the main policy plank, or the the, the centrepiece, was this treasury costing unit, which was a good kind of. I guess, encapsulation of that shift, which was as if to to, 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 uh, encourage, she was going to encourage all the other parties to agree with their idea to have an independent costing unit within the Treasury that would cost parties manifestos and their policy promises so that everyone had an independent idea of that. Do you reckon that, had John Key, by the way, poo-pooed that almost immediately? (laughs) But do you reckon that that was an effective approach from the Greens at it well?
2: I think it's a great idea, but I don't think it's going to win them any votes, simply. Um, I thought it was interesting that you drew on the whole Michael Joseph Savage story, and like you said, you know, our ideas may seem radical, but, you know, a couple of years later, people are pinching them, and then everybody accepts that, you know, they're great ideas after all, and you need to trust us to to um, to br- bring these things to fruition because at the moment you're just getting the diluted version of them because you know governments are cherry picking what they want, and I think you know that was a very um, smart argument to run, but in terms of the the costing unit, even though I think it's a good idea, I don't think it's the sort of thing that's going to have people um, you know. Jumping, joining up to the Green Party. Joining up to the Green hundreds, Party. Although, yeah. interestingly, we see you know, election after election, the Green Party is making major inroads in um, the Māori electorates. Right. So they're doing something right. How
0: did it, how did, how did, how did it, it Was for you, Ben? Do you reckon the Treasury thing was a go The
1: The goal was just to establish them as serious-minded in the minds of the media. Right mm. so uh, the government does actually get quite an easy run in terms of dismissing the costliness of opposition promises while by definition, anything they do is affordable because it 's happened right um, and w- whereas you know if labor float an idea or the greens float an idea, we say, "Oh one point two billion dollars for free tertiary education exactly. for three years well that, yeah. the country can 't afford that yeah. The country, of course, can afford that yeah. um, it 's all about prioritization and you know being willing to go into a little more debt um but, but you know when these stories uh, get reported they you know they're sort of you know government claims that's it's unaffordable, that kind of thing and so in in that sense, if just a plant in the minds of the people running these stories that actually there's nothing more incredible yeah. you know there's nothing more fantastical about offering three years of um, free tertiary education than there is about making the two thousand and nine tax cuts Um even if one is going to be more popular than the other and, you know, the, the electorate will obviously decide which one it wants or whether it's desirable. But, you know, we're, we're not talking sort of unicorns and griffins and chimeras mm. here. Um,
0: and then, of course, last but not least, Winston Peters stood up at the, the um, Rotary Club of Orewa uh, almost, almost exactly 12 years to the day since Don Brash... Stood up before the Rotary Club in Ottawa, and Don Brash was in the audience this time too. I was sort of across my him. Maybe if, what if he would have, if he would to see Winston as leader, that would be a new record probably in the Western world, wouldn't it? Being having three different parties anyway, um, and he gave a speech that had uh, echoes of that um, famous Brash speech, um, and he talked about one law for all, and it was. Um, and he gave a general kind of wide-ranging speech about the kind of demons at the door that were going to attack our sovereignty, which included TPP and the, the new flag and immigration and foreign ownership. Mm. And then he went for the Māori Party and he said that the concessions on the RMA were more of the separatism, carry-on, uh, terrible, 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 one law for all. Was that just what we'd expect from Winston Annabelle?
2: Oh, I am disappointed. I expect more from Winston because he's capable of more. But to me, this felt like embarrassing dad dance moves. Like your dad, you take him to a social, he's got two moves. Mm. In Winston's case, it's beating up Asians or beating up Maori. In this mm. case, he's chosen to beat up Maori in a very provocative Way you know at the Otago Rotary Club, I just think he you know this is a guy who managed to steal Northland back from under um, National. He's capable of so much more, and I just thought, oh, what? How boring.
1: Ben, yeah, well, that's right. I think on I, I take issue on Winston Peters' behalf that you know you would suggest he was copying Don Brash. You know, <laughs> he, he would say he was on the the treaty. Uh, he was a long Brash time was. ago. That's yeah. right. um, back in the Middle Ages. <laughs> <Yeah>. before before. <laughs> um, he, he he was the Pixies. You know, yeah. Um, the w- w- what I think is interesting is that he's honed in on this particular um treaty clause. You know, as you know, as you might describe it in the um, proposed RMA changes. Mm-hmm. Which give councils certain responsibilities to set out how they will um, interact with Maori in terms of resource consenting, planning, that kind of thing. Um, this is very sensible from the government. You know, there used to be a lot of flack, probably around when Winston started this about uh, treaty clauses um, because everyone well. You know, political nerds remember and, and lawyers remember the treaty clause in the state owned enterprises legislation, which is, is what, which was incredibly vaguely worded. It just said nothing in this act shall be inconsistent with the um, principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. The courts picked that up and ran with it and started expounding on what those principles were. And there, and there, and there has been uncertainty as a result um, since then. So right-wing parties will tend to say we want to get rid of treaty clauses. You know, it's just mischief-making from the judiciary, that kind of thing. So what you've seen in recent years is that uh, this government in particular will put um, actual content... In its treaty clauses, you know the 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 way that they respect the tra- the way that they give expression to the treaty partnership is actually in that legislation is actually set out in that legislation, rather than just left in there as a kind of wild card to let Shawn Elias and the Court of uh, uh, Supreme Court, you know, decide how that's going to be, and that's and that's actually how the treaty partnership should work. It's a relationship between the Crown and Māori, and they should negotiate that between themselves. It shouldn't actually be up to, to lawyers, and in particular, sort of unbearable kind of Pākehā law grads involved in social justice groups who hope to one day sort of reshape the country in their own image by by being judges, you know the, the the treaty itself is a political compact, and this should be handled in a political fashion.
2: It's a smart thing to do as you move into the post settlement era, too. Of course, you should be consulting with Iwi and trying to get them on board as you're going, you know, as you're going through the RMA process and getting them, you know, to be investing themselves in yeah. these projects and not holding them up. So it's a it's a smart thing, I think, and, that and, and that it's included. And you, I mean, you kind of have to as you move into. Post-settlement eras and Maori, you know, become stronger and stronger players in the com- economy, especially in provincial places. But, you know, consulting with people that have a vested interest is it that big a deal? It happens in terms of farmers and agricultural stuff all the time. But for some reason, when you mention, you know, the word Maori, people suddenly get all whipped up about it.
0: And according to Nick Smith, the environment minister, it was all in the bill before any concessions were agreed with the Maori Party <laughs> anyway. So it was a bit of a False target Thank you for joining us On the first outing Of Gone by Lunchtime The spin-off politics podcast I'm not sure we'll keep that name Let us know what you think By um, emailing us Or texting Radio Live uh, Many thanks to Annabelle Lee And Ben Thomas Far and away the most brilliant guests In the history of the Spin-off politics podcast Kia ora. Thanks also to producer Jose Barbosa Or as my mother likes to call him Josiah Barbados That nice one off the media show uh, and most importantly, thanks to you, dear listener. This has been gone by lunchtime. Um, talk to you in a month. Kia ora e tewi. He here, podcast manager at The Spin If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin Off member at thespinoff.co.nz/slash/donate.